0: And even with shops, it's like Walmart, right? It's almost like the Walmartization of
1: manufacturing. And I think I that's remember... the word of the
2: week Walmartization. <laughs> yeah,
1: right? <laughs> but yeah. Look hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. I want to tell you about Palo Alto Networks. They offer zero trust for OT without the PTSD. Keeping operational technology secure and running smoothly is a tall order. It's enough to make the coolest operations director wake up with night sweats, and we don't want that. Zero Trust OT Security delivers comprehensive visibility and security for all OT assets, networks, and remote operations. The Palo Alto Network solution provides exceptional OT protection with over 1,100 app IDs for OT protocols, over 500 profiles for critical OT assets, and over 650 OT-specific threat signatures supported. It provides best-in-class security while simplifying OT security management. It sees and protects everything in the network, and it automates threat detection while implementing zero trust across all operations. We know right now that security at manufacturing companies is critical, and you need to take action on this. So sleep better with the most comprehensive platform to detect, manage, and secure OT assets. Learn how the Palo Alto Network's Zero Trust for OT Security Solution can achieve 351% ROI over five years. To learn more, find the link in the description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. That's paloaltonetworks.com. are you
2: vibing today? Oh, I'm vibing. I think It's vibe season. It might be our season. <laughs> you know so I see. Obviously, I understand what's cool because you're known as the cool guy. Vibe? No, that's me, Nick. No, yeah. I don't think so because you didn't know what it was. <laughs> so his hat says vibe, S-Z-N, which is how we spell seasons. Well, you got to go to chips. LinkedIn to see the picture. Yeah. Drew's going to post it. Yeah, you got to see it. Absolutely. But I know how to spell things the cool way. And
0: pronounce it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
3: Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you will be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips, Seasons.
2: True. Guest hosting again. Hey, hopefully more to come. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we'll see how these. It's they a do. lovely
1: spot to be in this chair. Well, Drew, we love good. having you as a guest host. I mean, you've, you. have done a fantastic job. I mean, honestly, this is a challenging endeavor to take on. And Nick and I were taking a risk by saying, "Let's bring on guest host," and we were concerned about you, but you exceeded <laughs> our expectations. No, no, no. You thank really. you. And,
0: and to be honest, you guys do such I'm just a good saying, we job. We weren't concerned at all. <laughs> <laughs> you guys do such a good job that it does look easy from the other side of the table and from home on the laptop or on my phone but being on this side of the table this is like not easy at all this is heavy lifting but it's amazing it's intimidating it's a little nerve-wracking, but once you're in the flow and just having a conversation with you guys, it rolls off. So It always man, helps you when you guys bring for a great me.
2: guest. You know? Hey, there we go. But I'm surprised that this is nerve-wracking when you're traveling the world, you're doing yeah, you're your thing. you're speaking all the time. You're speaking in front of live audiences. That's pretty cool. What people don't get
0: is I'm like nervously sweating, like going over <laughs> my lines right before I walk on stage. And you know, as, as that's a do, good
1: position to be in. Yeah. You should be nervous. The moment that you're too confident... I think that's more of a problem than anything. Yeah. I've heard that from many, many speakers yeah. that all of them are nervous before they go on stage, and that's a good feeling to have. It also shows that you want to deliver something to yes. the audience, and you're kind of nervous that you're not going to, yeah. and that makes you work even harder for them. Absolutely. So I got a super
2: quick, funny story about this. Okay, so <laughs> the best man at my wedding, we did a destination wedding, and he goes and delivers a really good speech to the 30 people that were in the Dominican where I got married. Mm-hmm. And then we did a reception back at home with couple, Couple hundred people there. And you know, my wife's got an Italian family. You gotta invite a bunch of people or they'll (laughs) never forget. And so now all of a sudden he's like, I already did this once. He had a little alcohol in his system and stuff. So he's, all of a sudden it's not 20 people and he's not in the Dominican Republic. Mm. 250 yeah. people. And there's a spotlight. And he could not. Reason. He could, it was the most embarrassing thing. My wife will be like, trying to make me watch the video. I won't watch it. Like, you yeah. know, when you we watch like American yeah. Idol and it's so, he just You don't want to see up. that slow death. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's even, uh, he was too confident to your point. Yeah. yeah, well, it's even, you know, Nick, when we do
1: live podcast recordings, which we love to do, there's always... I mean, it's not as bad as it was, but there's always sense of nervousness. The little butterflies. Like yeah, that, I always throw up
2: yeah. a, a pair of Depends On just in case.
3: <laughs> so would, I've got, got two, case two pair on
1: right now, so I'm <laughs>
2: glad I'm not the only one. But low-key, like,
0: so this is one of the times and if anybody out there needs a tip to get rid of their nervousness before they walk on stage, go to the bathroom with a hot mic on. Now, listen to me. I know it sounds weird, (laughs) Oh yeah, right? But I was at H-Tech and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm about to talk to 1,500 educators, my peers, if this isn't good, they're going to pick me apart, they're going to roast me, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the end of my career. I'm nervous, I'm getting my mic on. And I was like, oh man, I got to use the bathroom. They're like, you got about 15 minutes, so you'll be all right. Yeah. I didn't know my mic was actually live. So... I go out, I leave out of the auditorium (laughs) hall and I go out into the hallway. And the receptionist at the workforce training center that this was at in Arkansas was like, Oh, my son knows you. Can you call him on FaceTime? And I'm like, Yo, you know, and I'm me to his son. And I see all the heads turn around in the thing, but I'm not paying attention that this is what's going on. And then I go into the bathroom. And I started using the bathroom and two people running there like, yo, Drew, turn your mic off. <laughs> well, they should have had a good sound guy that could have just yeah, you Yeah, off. a DJ. That's why I travel with a DJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, the good thing awesome. about that is couldn't have went more downhill than that, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah, you started at the bottom and then yes, it's all uphill. Yeah, from yes. <laughs> and it yeah. was the best speech that I think I've given to this date. And the feedback was amazing. Well, because so, you
1: lighten the mood. by embarrassing yourself. yeah, that's a funny thing to do. And there's nothing wrong with it because it also shows that you're real. You're a guy that goes to the bathroom.
0: Don't get get more real (laughs) than that, So
1: I want to tell you, so over these last two days, I've gotten to know you a little bit better. And I love your passion and your genuineness. And just, you want to see this industry excel. And you want to help the kids. And you're willing to make even financial sacrifices in order to live out what you believe that you are here to do. And I want to commend you for that. Thank You're you. You're such a blessing to this industry. And I think you've done such a great thing. And we're happy to have you a part of the Making Chips team. So honestly, like, Absolutely, it's been such man. a pleasure just having drinks and dinner last night and just getting to know you better and just your heart for the industry is just Thank second to none. Thank you very much. None. So
2: I appreciate that. I guess that's the end of the episode, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> no, no, you've got a segment. You've done well structuring your guest-hosted episodes. you got a segment coming up, right?
0: Yeah, man, I'm excited about this one. You know, a lot of people kind of see me and think I'm all about the screen and the younger generation, and I don't really have no love for the OGs in the game, but they really don't understand that a lot of who I am is because I was taught by old-school machinists, and I was lucky enough to listen. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait to bring this guest on. But one of my other OGs in the game, who is
2: well-traveled and... Talk about speaking in front of people, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That talks in front of people all the time. We never know where he is in the world. Let's go find out. Let's check in on my dudes. Hey, before
2: we call him, let's make a guess.
0: A little friendly wager. Let me go first.
2: Okay, go ahead, Jason. I
1: believe that... I'm just going to name a continent because that's how broad I want to be. I believe that Tony is somewhere in Asia.
2: Okay. okay. I think I'm going to name like an elevation. I think he's somewhere in some mountains,
1: maybe the Himalayas. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> where we
0: were...
2: are the
1: Himalayas though? <laughs> we would both win. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. I think you're.
0: <laughs> I'm the player from the Himalayas. So, I know Tony loves beaches and I know he loves climbing mountains. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go somewhere like in between. I'm going to say he's in Vilnius, Lithuania.
2: Okay. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> very specific. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure we're, we're going to say, like, Mexico <laughs> my second guess. He's usually standing in front of a machine tool somewhere talking to somebody who's yeah, trying to screw it. So, all right, let's call him in.
3: Our friend Tony Gunn covers the latest in manufacturing news. Promotes the greatest manufacturing brands and shares his favorite highlights with us on making chips. So let's find out. Where in the world is Tony Gunn?
4: Nicholas, my brother from another mother. <laughs>
2: hey, what's up, Tony? What's up,
0: Tony? Hey, my boy,
2: Pretty Tony. Bus
4: with a bunch of other people uh, headed to the airport. Okay. okay. All right. Oh, wait, wait. Where wait. Are going? Hold
0: on. Hold on. Don't say it yet. Pretty Tony. Yeah, we... Pretty Tony. I need you to say Lithuania, hopefully around the Vilnius <laughs> region.
4: Where are you going, Where are you man? going, buddy? Lithuania. <laughs> <laughs> That's my <what I> guess. <laughs> Gosh, I've never been to Lithuania, but I'd love to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually, at this moment, flying out of Chicago, headed to Denver to come Uh, of Shop Rescue with the EBITDA guys. Tony, I literally
1: just got off the phone about 30 minutes ago with Dave. Did you really? Yeah, he's like my CFO, and we're reviewing numbers and stuff like that, and I literally just got done talking to him.
2: Those are great guys. What way to kick off a show with... Pretty, Tony, and Dave. By the way, who is the winner here? Because Denver counts as the mountains, basically. Close.
4: <laughs> I said Tony's in the mountains somewhere. I think, I, I
2: think, I think you win,
4: Nick. I think, I, think I, think, I think you
2: win. But you are going to Asia soon,
1: aren't you?
4: Well, if we want to have some more fun with this, if you call me again on Sunday, I'll be headed to Singapore and Bali for the month of December. There we
1: go. Jason wow. wins, too.
4: That's pretty close to some guesses. You'll be
0: flying over in Lithuania, though, so... <laughs> <laughs>
2: So we're surprised you're not in front of a machine tool somewhere
4: Well, had you called me yesterday I would have been
2: Hey, hey, but what we have to do is Because you rode in the
0: car and you're about to hop on a plane We definitely got to thank a machinist or two, right?
4: We should think a machinist. And while we're at it, Mr. Jason Zinger.
1: Yeah, I I was, you were just at Schmidt, weren't you?
4: Yesterday, yeah. uh, in front of the Hydromat machines and all the brother machines there. So we can think a lot of machinists from that place. There you go. Five year old family owned company, third generation. Yes. Thank a lot of machinists.
1: Yes. I love the team at Schmidt and Eric and Heidi and Eric with a C and Eric with a K. And did you see a bunch of guys wearing Zenger shirts around there too?
4: I think that was mandatory, wasn't
1: it? (laughs) (laughs) Is that the deal? If you're the integrator, they have to wear your shirt? Well, no, we just hand them out. It's like swag.
2: (laughs) We have our Zenger swag that we hand out and people like it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, well, shout out to Paul Van Mater, you, Tony, Drew, me, Jason, everyone who's doing this Thank a Machinist thing, because we need to. We need to look at the world around us and thank the people who produced it. Yeah, we need to make sure that those hearts
1: are made in a manner that that plane doesn't go down when you get on it, Tony. (laughs) Yes.
4: <laughs> and also, thank you for bringing that up, Nick. I'll be seeing Paul tomorrow because Pro Shop is one of the sponsors of the Shop Rescue that we're uh, creating right now, and I'll be filming with him tomorrow. So we'll probably do a little Think of Machinist video while we're together as well.
2: Awesome. Yeah, well, we look forward to seeing that. Hey, sounds good, man. And thanks for checking in. We now found out where you are in the world, headed
1: to Denver.
4: Yeah, I'm sure everyone on the shuttle bus will be very happy that I'm hanging out the phone right about it. He's out, pretty, Tony. See
0: Safe travels. <laughs>
4: Cheers, guys. Good
2: to hear from you, Andrew. All right, cool. Drew, you got a guest. You've had great guests, and I'm excited to hear from this guy. So this one's
0: gonna be amazing. This has been a long time coming. I was able to meet this gentleman as an instructor at the technical college that I was teaching at. And every year when I would bring my class into programming their first programming semester and they were learning about tooling and which tools to use and decide to build their programs around which tools would be the best, I was able to lean on an OG, a seasoned vet in the game to not only give his expertise to my class, but also give them tours, show them how the tools are made, come back, do demos. And he's been somebody I could lean on advice, somebody I can lean on for support. And I think it's really important that we have these seasons that have been through the ups and downs and have seen everything.
2: Been through the seasons.
0: Through the seasons, <laughs> baby, because sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but we got to weather that storm. So today we are talking about how manufacturing fuels grid with my boy, Andy Mueller from Missouri Tools. What up, Andy?
3: Hey, I'm (laughs) new to this, man. So we'll see how it goes. I'm a little nervous. As you guys said, it's first time on a podcast ever for me. I never thought I'd do that. My kids were probably thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. My dad's on a podcast, but we'll see how it all works now.
2: (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's all stories, man. And you got stories because we were talking before this. So So you run on a
1: competitor of mine? Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs) Well, hopefully it's about to be a
0: collaborator.
1: I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good.
0: But the cool thing, like you just said, and like Nick reiterated, is this is new media, but new media and new waves and new things like that do not have to and should not include veterans and people that have some of that legacy knowledge. And I think that people see my movement, they see the new American manufacturing renaissance, and they get a little scared and they feel like if I'm an older machinist or an older part of manufacturing, there's no room for me. But the thing is, this thing doesn't happen without the OGs, because without the OGs, we don't really have direction for all this energy and things
1: like that, so. And I love the way you started this out, Drew, because just because it's us creating this platform, that doesn't mean that we can't share this platform. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just because Andy doesn't start a podcast Doesn't mean we can't pull him into it and learn from him and get coached and get that knowledge that's been just kind of percolating for
3: decades. No, I appreciate it. Uh, Like I said, I've been doing this a long time. My dad started the business in 1966. I started as a 12 year old grinding tools. So like I said, I've been through a lot of different things, seen a lot of things. Sold machine tools for a while. We were like the third ever WinWare customer, which is Cribmaster. Mm. So I've done a lot of different things in the industry. Like I said, I appreciate you guys bringing me in. Said this is the first time i ever done this, but I think I can bring some to it. Plus, I like to help Drew out. Drew is really pushed the industry, pushed people to get into the industry. I have a lot of fears in the industry. I have a lot of fears of what's going to happen to this business. And they're warranted. I think there's, there's a warranted. lot of
1: consolidation going yeah, on. there's and a lot everything. of
3: consolidation. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, both consolidation with customers. A lot of my customers mm-hmm. have been purchased. A lot of people or buying industrial distributors? Where is the personal touch? It worries me a little. So
1: Andy, I can give you a little bit of my perspective if we're going to talk about industrial distribution. I see those same things going on, but my perspective right now is a couple things. I see the pie getting bigger in the United States. So I see manufacturing... Just we talk about this a lot, nearshoring, reshoring, all those kind of like great buzzwords, people like Drew and making chips, bringing more people to the industry, trying to get them to look at like, okay, their white collar job, maybe they'd be best off looking at a blue collar position, which Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that a little bit in the future. I'm getting a little preview for Drew. And then also, as this consolidation goes on in our industry, what I'm seeing is a degradation of service. And I'm bringing on more clients because of that degradation of service from these consolidators and these national companies where they can't do what you and I do, deliver that service. Like you and I can go into a shop and we can say, you can make more revenue off of this job if you do X, Y, Z. Right. Whereas our competition, they're
0: not spending the time to do that. They might not even be in the same region to be able to pop up and do something like that. So as a younger person, these are the conversations that I like to have with people that have this experience and expertise because I'm looking at it and I came in to manufacturing on the saw not knowing what the anything was. Everybody but, starts on the soft. Yeah. I love that that's my story too. And I never wanted this industry to go anywhere. It's like, yo, I found it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's a million jobs I can get in this. There's so many different companies. My mind is finally engaged and occupied compared to what I was doing. This is like my second life. Everybody needs this. And now slowly from being from that guy that started that was green to where I am now, Only thing that I can compare what I'm seeing in our industry as far as that side, and even with shops, it's like Walmart, right? It's almost like the Walmartization of manufacturing. I think that's the word of the
2: week, Walmartization, (laughs) right? (laughs) But yeah, you know. So,
0: how do we return the feeling of made in USA is important, and how do we help independent shops and people like yourselves? gain that grit to fight the ups and the downs in the seasons.
2: I have an opinion on that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so do I. Like, Like, we all shop at Walmart from time to time. I'm sure we do because you need to. Super convenient. Yeah. And so it's like... You don't even have to go anymore. Yeah, like, to take, like, an Ace Hardware or something versus, like, a Home Depot, right? And you probably might pay a little bit more there. But if you don't have... Enhanced value from the service then you'll just go get it
3: right and you and I were talking about my
2: biggest competitor is a tombstone city, right? And okay like if their tombstone and my tombstone is intolerance like everything's made right if they have it at a faster lead time and a better price is patriotism going to be like how I win?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. It used to be, but maybe not anymore.
2: Maybe 1% or 2% price difference it might, but people aren't going to pay 20% more to be patriotic. But right. should
1: they? Should they? And I'm
0: on the ground, right? So like we said earlier, my whole thing is servant leadership. And i want to use my voice and my opportunities in these shops in front of kids to help everybody in the industry, mm-hmm. right? And I think that as that person... How do I, with experts here, how do I begin to help rebuild that feeling and rebuild that ideal
2: of it is worth? Well, along the lines of servant leadership and what Jason and Andy are talking about too is like, do you want your holes on center? Do you want them off center? What are you going to hold on that tombstone? How are you going to clamp it? That extra value of like the whole concept, understanding the whole solution, not just moving something off a shelf is what I think all three of us do. That's a little bit different than someone who may just be slinging a commodity from one shelf to another.
1: This goes back to what I just said before, which is what is your your motivation. And like the thing that I drive with my team is our motivation should be revenue for a client. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Whether we're helping them to drive bottom line revenue or top line revenue, it's revenue for our clients. And To go back to your question that you asked, Drew, and I got a follow-up question for Andy, I think it starts with your mindset. And if you have a mindset of scarcity, oh, well, if I don't get this next order, life is going to be over. Or if you have this mindset of abundance, manufacturing is moving to the United States, there's a pie that's getting bigger and bigger, and I can capitalize that. Or Mm -hmm. my competitors are getting worse and worse, and I'm getting better and better. So there's more customers to come. I think it starts with that mindset and how you can do that.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, a lot of things I see out there is... I was at a shop that we were looking at integration with and they had places in Oklahoma and Wisconsin and all different areas. I went down to an Oklahoma facility and one of the large nationals was their integrator and make a long story short, I looked at tooling and I said, I mean, I don't think this tooling's been changed in 20 years. Right. They're selling the same high-speed drill. They were selling them TPG inserts, TPG 321s Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there was a VR West, and I'm going back the old day, whisper cutters. You know, I knew actually, and it's like buying it from Medill Carbide because, you know, even VR doesn't hardly make the whisper cutter inserts anymore. It's just crazy stuff. And the fact
1: that you see those sales going through and you don't offer up the option to make a change, I mean, that's a crime. You Mm -hmm. know? Exactly. The manufacturer should have a good partner that makes those suggestions because they can't be an expert in tooling. They need to be an expert in manufacturing and they need to have the right partner that brings those solutions mm-hmm. to the table. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: when I was at the college, we were one of those click print order, right? Mm-hmm. And we were working with one of the majors. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty much overcharging us and putting the same stuff in the toolboxes for the kids that had been in there from like 2011.
2: Yeah, it's just a the school. They don't know any better. Exactly. They're not going to put yeah, pressure on us. They're
0: almost like, yeah, they're taking advantage of That's them. That's it. And then I would call a rep and they'd send me somebody that like is fresh out of college with a business degree, but knows nothing about manufacturing or, or tooling, tooling or any of these things. And They wouldn't have any suggestions for me. But you're right. When I got in touch with Mr. Mueller, hey, look at my box. Look at my curriculum. This is where I want to go. How can we, A, save these kids some money on their tuition? But then, B, how can we get them cutters that are more in line with where the industry is using so they can build their expertise there? Mm-hmm. And you guys are right. That's not something that you can get from these other corporate people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like, it gets so frustrating because they've got that Walmartization effect where it's mm-hmm. like they can get it to me really fast and I
2: can't stop my curriculum. And sometimes there's value to that. Being able to get exactly what you need really quick, there's value to that. But
1: there's also value in the relationship in the bank that you could trust Andy to
2: get you. That's the the word I was going for. The trust that you have to be a trusted advisor.
3: I think one of the big things we always told a lot of customers is we kind of look at your business as if we were the buyer at our own business. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are we going to do to save you guys money? Mm-hmm. not the other hand. It's not the philosophy of what are we going to do make us more money? Mm-hmm. Obviously, if we can save you more in the long run, you're going to appreciate our business more. Well, not so, only
1: that, their business is going to grow. Right. And that's going to end up being a larger client
3: for you. Exactly. So we've done the integration part. We've done a lot of the other stuff. And I'm not knocking the other guys. They have the resources. They have a lot of things that they can do. And they do some stuff really well. And they approach things really well but do they actually benefit the end user to the point where, like you said, they're getting better production, they're saving time. It's not all about the cost of the tool. It's about how much they produce in their shop and how much money they can make that way. So if they have to spend $10 more on a tool, but they're getting twice the production, that's where the money is.
2: You have to challenge your customers, and I think some of these bigger places don't. They don't challenge their customers. Hey, Nick, thanks for sending me
1: that shop tour video that you just did. That was great.
2: Yeah, you know, I got the idea from one of my customers and they told me that when they have a prospect visit their shop for a tour, they have an over 90% close rate.
1: Well, you know, with all of these supply chain problems, people are setting up new vendors all the time. Why not send them one of those videos instead?
2: Yeah, it was great. The ThomasNet team helped me. They sent somebody to my facility and they were able to kind of capture a shop tour without it being in person. So you can check that out on my ThomasNet profile, Advanced Machine and Engineering or Hennig. We actually had two of them done.
1: That's great. And I talked to ThomasNet about this and they said that they can send a camera with short notice anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. And when you go to ThomasNet, you can engage with a half a million suppliers, 78,000 categories of products, and every month they have 1.5 million buyers searching out suppliers. And videos are a great way for people to find out about your facility.
2: Yeah, and it's really easy to sign up. You just go to the website, thomasnet.com, and a few clicks and you'll be right there. So go to
1: business.thomasnet.com slash programs, and that'll take you directly to sign up for one of their videos. That's business.thomasnet.com slash programs. One of the things that we find is that there's also a big differentiation, and this is something that the manufacturing leader needs to pay attention to. When your team members, your employees out on the shop floor are passionate about the success of the company that they work for, they wanna make these changes in order to make things better. When they're not willing to make changes, it's because they just wanna punch in in the morning, punch out at night, because making these changes is not easy and can sometimes cause stress out on the shop floor. But when they're passionate about the success of the company that they work for, that foreman or that operator or that programmer, they want to participate in making those changes. So that's something to look at. And it's like, is my tooling changing? And if it's not, that could be actually an indication that your culture is not at the point where it should be. Yes. And I know that this, like, it might seem a little far-fetched, but if you think about it as a manufacturing leader, it's really an indicator. It is, it is.
0: That is a red flag of poor culture. And that's one of the things that I help audit companies, right? Mm -hmm. If there is not an operator that can say, we're running high speed, we could run carbide over here. You know what I'm saying? Then number one... Or we just upgraded six months ago on this job. Whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if they aren't able to be an SME, at least on their machine in their process, or they're not willing to be, Mm -hmm. then there's something that you need to do to engage them and tune in, right? Or give them that channel of being able to tell you, hey, these are some things that I've researched. And then that is like a Kyle that we had here yesterday. Yeah. That is how you identify, oh, this guy's going to be my next buyer. This guy's going to be my next heavy setup guy and help me. Or operations manager. Exactly. 100%. So back to you, Mr. Mueller. So you didn't start off selling consumables and tooling and stuff like that.
3: Well, yeah. When I started out, like I said, I was in the grind shop and of course I I got to do all those stuff, sweep the floors, clean the coolant tanks in the old days on some of the cylindrical grinders and everybody's favorite job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Get in the mess and get that mud, baby. (laughs) We don't use the good products we sell now today that don't stink, but (laughs) (laughs) but make a long story short, yeah, I did a lot of that stuff, a lot of painting, a lot of other odds and end jobs. And then when I got out of college, worked a little bit with my father, started that way, and then I got into the machine tool side of the business. We actually purchased a company called Merrick Machinery, which was a machine tool dealer, and I kind of got my hands into machine tools and stuff like that. And learned so, that way.
0: what was the motivation, if you don't mind me asking, behind that pivot?
3: Well, there was a couple things. Actually, it was weird. You know, in the old days, if you were a Sterrett distributor, all you had was Sterrett. You didn't have Midatoya. If you were a Cleveland distributor, you didn't have Precision Twist or Guring or something like that. Now everybody's got everything. Back in the days, my dad actually, this even though it was a machine tool dealer, they did sell some perishables at Merrick at the time. And one of the lines they had was Starrett. So with a Starrett coordinate measuring machines, a and saws, a Starrett tooling, and my dad wanted to have the Starrett line. He wanted to have an actually American-made measuring tool line, and he wanted to be a Starrett dealer. So that was the other part of the process there. Just
1: a side note, we have one of those old school Starrett
3: Boards. It's cool Oak, Jason. Boards. We yeah. have a whole bunch of them, yeah. actually. <laughs> we got a few of those. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. like something you it's should see in a museum.
1: You see like the calipers and mics from 50 years ago. So someone yeah. could have
2: given me like 10 guesses on why you wanted to go from consumables to capital equipment. And I wouldn't have guessed because... They had a line that you wanted that was a consumable. <laughs> yeah,
4: <that's
3: wild. laughs> yeah, yeah, it was an interesting thing. Plus, like I said, I wanted a bit of clash with my father and that try, kind try of stuff. Try your own way? Yeah, try my own thing and try to make my way you know, into some of my well, own. Well,
1: sometimes stuff. as a like, distributor, you want to acquire certain product lines. And No, I get it, but yeah. it's
2: like you usually don't jump into a machine tool dealer just to get a calipers. A caliper.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> the nails and the teeth along with the body. You yeah, know, exactly. We talked about it in the last exactly. episode. And there
3: was a couple sales guys he had, and like I said, we actually had Missouri tools that sold a little bit of more at the time before that through Missouri tools. And he bought a, Machine dealer called Hexter Machine. This is a long time back. And long story short, that moved to Merrick. Then the machine tools moved up there. and We actually had our own machine tool division. And we were a Mori dealer and, and things like that back then. So. so,
1: going to when you connected with Drew, my understanding is that you started coaching him on your knowledge of the industry and tooling and everything like that. What was the presentation that you started making to Drew's team when he was a teacher?
3: When he was a teacher, we kind of went down there, and part of it was I wanted to also show kids like some of the newer technologies. I mean, so they were as a school, and I get it, so we sold, when Walter Pumphrey, I don't know if you know the name, Walter was a rank teacher for years and years and years, and we used to sell all the tooling to there, and I understood the thing when Walter was there. They used to buy a lot of high-speed end mills, a lot of really inexpensive, cheap stuff, because the kids went through a lot of tooling. Mm-hmm. And part of the thing when I was working with Drew was, hey, you guys are training, but you're still running high-speed end mills. you still running a lot of products. Don't get me wrong. You guys had some insertables and you had some stuff in there, but do the kids really know the difference? So we actually had taken them first and we did some tours at our facility, showed them how tools are made because we actually manufacture too. We showed them how tools are made and then we went down there and actually showed them the difference between running a high-speed end mill, a carbide end mill, and then what does a variable helix do different, and what does a five-flute or a seven-flute or other things do and how do end mill geometries affect the tool. We had done an open house a long time ago with a machine, machine tool, and we basically put a regular end mill in and we would run a carbide ML. I think it was a, I'm not positive, but we were running, I a- think a half inch at a time, and we would do half inch depth of cut and quarter inch step over. And we would run the end mill at about 15, 20 inches a minute, it would start squealing. So we'd stop that and we'd put a variable in and we started at 20 inches a minute. Then we went to 40 inches a minute. Then we went to 80 inches a minute. Down the Drew, we were over 120 inches a minute, right? I mean, as much as the Haas could take. On an
0: old oh, clapped out BF2 super speed. Yeah, yeah but I mean, we were it.
3: pushing full horsepower and we said, hey, look at this. It'll pull these chips here's what you can do. You guys are running parts and when you can go to your, and you can come in as a student and show your company that you can save them money and produce more, you're going to make more money.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah so you're hitting that. And something. that's why he was my wild card because I came in, I inherited a pretty stale program like we've referenced. And at the same time, there's the guy on the internet running, not high speed, he's running carbide, super three-time coded, whatever, through end mills, booming all over the place. And the kids are coming into my program and our projects are mostly aluminum
1: and like you said, high speed. And it's like,
2: like, how do I do that?
1: Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think that if you're doing that, if you're running conservatively, it's like you're running boring and you don't want to bore these kids. And that's one of the reasons why Titans video say, I'm going to murder this metal, you know what I mean? Because that gets eyeballs and it gets people excited about the industry. And when you got to the point where you were really pushing those mills, it gets people excited. They see those Chips flying, yeah. and they were like, I want to be a part of this. Exactly that.
0: And what I really loved is we were able to take the sensationalization of one and then say, A okay, real. Yes, let's yeah. make it real and let's do it in a way that you understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't we run this mill at 120 horses when this one we can't, right? Mm-hmm. Or the speed and the feed has to be this, or not even speed and feeds, chip removal rate. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. And like, let's start calculating that. Instead of this, at the same time, my Mastercam relationship was getting deeper and Mastercam's got different toolpaths. And now instead of traditional milling, now we're high speed, right? The we're high efficiency high, efficiency high efficiency exactly. Yeah, so, going, so it's right, like, yeah. okay, if I'm sending these kids out into the field with the old stuff and their only knowledge is... Just how to run a NIMS part.
2: And high efficiency, just because I'm not from the cutting tool side, but that's where you're using like more of the cutting tool, yes. less depth of cut and moving faster. You got
0: axial and the radial.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. Let's let the experts. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure I got it. So yeah.
3: I'm going to run it through a couple things. There's always phases in this business. About 10, 15 years distributor, everybody was using feed mills. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a lot of feed yeah. mills out there and there's a lot of applications for yeah, feed mills. And there's different types of feed mills. Feed, and, and there's yeah. different types of feed yeah. mills and everything like that. Then there was the Variable Helix that started in the 2000s. I mean, it was actually developed in Japan in the 80s, but SGS bring it over here in the early 2000s. 2000, I believe it was. 2000 IMTS, I think, was introduced in the United States. But you take that type of tool and everybody flocks to some of that stuff, but do they know how to use it? High efficiency machining, what we call HEM machining right now, a lot of people are using that, but a lot of people are using it wrong or think that, that is the way you have to machine everything.
1: Well, define if you could HEM and versus the old way, the conventional way.
3: So the old way was you'd take your end mill and you take what's a lot of, on the steels, a lot of four fluters and stuff like that. You were taking heavier engagements, 50 to 100% stepovers, lighter depths of cut and removing metal that way, running slower RPM, and depending on material, that's still a good way to run. Is that what they call hogging? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hogging. hogging. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were hogging, you were taking
0: material off. Now, <laughs> But you're using, like he said, low depths of cuts, right? Just like the end of the tool. So the thing that he taught my class the first time, and it really like opened my mind up as a machinist, he's like, You paid for this much of the end Mm mill. Yeah. But you've only been using this much this whole time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that really was like, yo, think about that, kids. And think about that when, like, again, you get a print. I'm going to program this thing. There's a million different ways that you can program a part, right? But only 10% of those ways is going to really make you money.
2: So, Drew, let me ask you this, because I think in NIMS curriculum or just conventional curriculum, it's like, here's how to make a thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then as a teacher, did you have different ways of keeping score, KPIs, whatever you want to call it, where it was like, hey, how can we improve the cycle time? How can we extend the yes. tool life? All these things that like a business owner really cares about. Yes. Did you make that the game? So Yeah, 100%. Well, and, and
1: I, would ask, I don't think Andy fully explained like HEM, but how does it relate to Oh yeah, that? let's get back to that. Yeah, but that's a good question.
3: So basically what we were talking about, you're taking these deeper taps of cut. Now, on softer materials, believe it or not, that's still a better way to machine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a problem I have right now. A lot of people look at this high-efficient Machining and say, hey, you know, I got to run this 1018 at take this light cut and whiz back and forth. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, you can slot it two times depth of cut, full slots with a half, depending on your horsepower and all that. Sure. You can get higher metal removal. It's all at the end of the day, it's how much metal you get. Rid of yeah. right, and how many parts you get out the door. Sure, there's multiple ways to approach it, but high efficiency machining, especially like on your stainlesses and your ties and the tougher materials, is a lot of the way to go. And it's basically feed milling, but at a different angle. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I explained to a lot of people, you know, a feed mill what was popular with it was light depths of cut, you had that different chip thinning, and you're doing the same thing mm-hmm. with high efficiency machining, you're taking a lighter cut which allows you so we have a like a rule of thumb that if you take five percent radial stepovers, you take your regular program before and you multiply your feed by two and a half and you multiply your rpm your surface foot, by two and a half times and you can run that tool faster so you're running it a lot faster and a lot deeper depths of cut so i'm uh talking with my hands here yeah. <laughs> unfortunately that's not a good thing to do with podcasts but what are you doing more and i think sometimes high efficiency machining makes it Easier for a programmer because he might take one tool to do the whole part, and there's pros and cons of all that. It depends on what you're doing, do you production or job shop. The machine
2: tools getting faster, and the spindle RPMs getting higher,
3: kind of like oh, ushered yeah. this in. Oh, I yeah, definitely, yeah, good point, uh, definitely ushered it in. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. A lot of people talk about well, how much does that put on your machine when you're doing these fast movements back and forth and you're constantly stopping the ball screw, constantly going, yeah, jerking the machine back and forth. How is that going to wear your machine tool out it? And I've heard from machine people say, well, it doesn't actually put as much pressure on your spindle. You're actually doing lighter forces mm-hmm. and you are going faster. And I've heard all different things. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the exact answer is. I know that at the bottom line is is pulling chips. I had a customer that was doing a lot of high efficiency machining. And I walked in one time and I said, you know what you really need to do on this titanium part. You might want to try a crest cut and all this stuff. And he's going, Well, why would I run that? You know, that's 25-year-old, 30-year-old technology. And I said, well, you're only pulling like two cubes. What if I can give you five or six cubes? I mean, at the end of the day, some of the older technology still works. There's still a lot mm-hmm. of machine tools, you know, yeah, still yeah. buying that old stuff. I mean, there is some stuff that works, but yeah. you know.
1: Well, this is going to be kind of a bad analogy, but the question becomes when you're driving, do you take side streets to get to your destination or do you go a little bit out of your way to get on the highway? Yeah, oh, right, yeah. Right. And I apologize. Can we go back to your question? Because I think it was a really I good I just want to give
2: another example. Like what wears your body out more, lifting heavyweights or running a marathon? It depends, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, right, exactly. right, so right. you got
1: to make an analysis at the point. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah. it's
2: really like, what are you trying to achieve? And that yeah. kind of gets back to the question I asked. Or do you through.
1: go high reps or do you go high
2: weight? Yeah, what are you trying to achieve? <laughs> and so like in your shop, are you trying to like get the most out of your tool life? Or are you trying to get the most throughput? Usually that's the answer. You want to get the most throughput out of your shop. But you might take a different approach depending on what you're trying to achieve. And yes. it all comes down to like, what are you measuring and what's the game?
3: So here's a real quick point. I have one customer and he taught me something. Or like I said, a lot of it too is I'll ask the customer too, how many parts are you doing? What is it? Because sometimes, or what makes sense? And we grind tools. So I'm going to put us on a grinding side. We grind tools. I had some grinders that used to work at another company in the area and they came in and said, oh, when we used to grind tools, we would flute at this speed, we would do this, but we'd have to stop the machine all the time, make offsets, do this. And I said, well we run unattended at night. We run this speed. Okay, we're running. Sometimes you will run slower and we because you want to have night. the efficiency because you want to let it go at night and you want to yeah. make sure you can come in the morning and you don't have scrap parts, right?
2: You might not be able to be as aggressive when nobody's there to fix an issue. So you yeah. might want to babysit it at night. And that's, that's the whole thing one. from an
3: yeah. industrial distributor. The distributor needs to know and he's a teacher's customer. And I mean, not to say that there's not a lot of customers that know what they're doing, but help them out. Hey, are you going to be taking a lot of material off? What's our bottom line here? What are we trying to accomplish?
2: You want to be a trusted advisor, not I'm going to tell you how to run your business.
0: So back to your previous question, that's the exact reason why I started tapping into people that I could like this, right? Because I don't want to just have a kid that I send into the field calling themselves a the machinist and they don't know the why. They don't know, okay, this is what they want. This is how I should program this part. This is what they want. This is how I should program this part. This is what they want. This is the program I'm running, but they're not getting what they want out of their program. How can I efficiently make this better or what tooling can I look into? Are we using enough flutes? Are we using too many flutes, right? So having that deeper knowledge is something that I felt like the quality of machinist or the quality of machining student also had gotten stale, I feel like. And it was, I came literally, I stopped working in industry on, I had a Saturday shift. Monday, I was teaching. So I didn't go to like teacher's classes. Like I just went right into the classroom and then boom. So I didn't learn this trade in a classroom. So I don't know how to open your books and look at, okay, y'all need to learn thread milling. This is how I learned it. This is what we're going to learn. And then I'm going to bring in an expert and then we're going to do it. You know what I'm saying? And so that's how I was livening up because I knew coming from industry, what these kids needed to know to be prepared to have the good jobs. And then I also knew coming from industry, what these kids needed to know to get hired and bring value to the people that were hiring them. And I kept hearing, hey, you're bringing kids out. Well, not me, because I just started there, but the reputation of the school was like, putting kids out. They've got these NEM certifications, but they can't set up or machine anything. And we're having to retrain them anyway, or we're going to have to send them to night school to get upskilled or whatever it may be. And so for me, like that was my sauce that I could put on it is like, okay, this is the reputation. This is what your
2: boss is actually going to care about.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. This is how you're going to make your boss more money. Which will in turn give you more freedom to do
1: what you want to do in life. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that yeah. goes down to the like KPIs, like what are you actually measuring and what's yes. important to your boss? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not like
2: can you make a part in the most old fashioned way possible? Yep. Right. That's not the boss does not care.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And I think this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I think for those manufacturing leaders that aren't the owner of the business, that's probably like the most important question that you can ask the owner of the company is like, what can I do in order to help you achieve your goals? Which we could have a whole podcast on that. Yeah.
2: Though. <laughs> our mission at our business is to make our customers successful. Well, if you don't know how they define that, Right. I mean, that should be one of the first things that we ask. Like, yeah. If we're doing workholding projects, what are you trying to achieve here? Yeah, are you trying to do what? Do you nice hate about? Are you trying to put out more
1: parts? What is
2: it? it do yeah. you want it to be a quicker change? Do you want it to be automated clamping? Do you want it to be super versatile so it can go from machine to machine? Are you going to have a robot automating the loading and unloading? Like these are all questions. The solution could be totally different.
0: And a lot of times it is,
2: depending on how they answer that.
0: And a lot of times it is, and as. Again, workforce side, if I'm coming into learning this trade and I'm only seeing the sensationalization, but I'm not seeing how we got to that point or like why this is possible and the science behind it, I'm probably not going to be adding value or they, boss might tell me the why, but it's a different language to me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we want to run lights out and we want to baby it. And this is what we need. But then first and second shift, we want to run a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. We want to increase that production. We want to
1: push our machines harder. You
2: always do the most challenging work when you got the people there. Right. Exactly. And I think
1: along those lines, when you see some of those sensational videos, you got to understand that that's being delivered in a very controlled environment. Yes. It's being done on video with multiple takes And they're only focusing on one product line right there. What they don't understand is that somebody like Andy and I can look at that and be like, okay, well... Should you use Ketametal Metal or should you use this car or should you use Sandvik or yes. should you use OSG or should you use YG? YG yeah, yeah. What's the best solution to bring to the table? And I think the best manufacturers will say, well, yeah, we're really good in 80 percent of these things that we do. But like these guys are really good at yes. what you're doing in particular right now. Or should you use a custom tool or For should sure. you use right. a standard tool? Right.
3: We had that thing. So. One of the big influencers out there had a video of cutting like 500 inches a minute yeah. in steel. So I went to a shop. Some shop asked me, hey, wow, look at this. I yeah. got to buy this product because it's cutting that. So I put online, you can look on it. Five years ago, we did the same material at 1,000 inches a minute. Right. But I told him, I said, realistically, no. 1,000 inches a minute is, first of all, we were running 1,000 inches and it's dry. We were running super high surface foot. We were yeah. running a bunch of different things. How many parts? would it get? I have no idea. But like I said, I think there's one out now like 2,000 inches a minute. That stuff is attainable with a lot of different products out Yeah, there. It's just how do you maintain something like that? No, but we did do a thing where we ran, I had a customer run 500 inches a minute. Now, of course it was trichoidal milling. So technically the chips, you're in and out of the part 50% of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're not really getting like, the other guy's pop, but yeah, yeah, we're getting 30 cubes. You're not really getting 30 cubes. Yeah. If you do the math, it says 30 cubes, but you're not doing the math at the time. You're out of the cut. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were doing stuff like that and I had a customer running 500 just a minute and doing a production run had no problem. So it can be done with the right equipment. Okay. Okay. High speed machine with all the dynamics and functions and, and like everything adaptive like that. controls, adaptive like- controls, and all that stuff. I mean, it's all important. There's a lot of different variances on there. Mm-hmm. What we were doing, we were doing stuff on a Haas. There's different ways to approach a whole bunch of different things. And the thing I learned a lot we see a lot of manufacturers take guys from the shop and make them industrial, work for like the ISCARs of the world or the Cannamels of the world and all that. And a lot of these guys think, well, uh, you know, I went to the Cannamels school. I know everything. Or I went to the car school. I went, well, know everything in here and this is how we do it. And you can see every different shop is different. And then there's the equipment also. You got to look at what equipment the guy has, because just because you can actually run a tool a thousand inches a minute, you might have a machine that was built in the nineties or late eighties that what four hundred and something inches a minute was wrapped Like travel. the max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 157 inches was your maximal programs, our you know, speed around the corner would rip things off. You know, I mean, I'd had guys go, Well, we'll put a feed mill in here. You can't run a feed mill in this big gantry machine. Sure. It doesn't it can't handle it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's different things you gotta look at. Yeah. And part of it is just training or learning this and experience it out there. And with a lot of this box companies buying all these people, like you said, you get a lot of guys out in the field, they really don't know machining. And I also say that with engineers. I also say a lot of these engineers need to know machining. I go to a company in town. Can I mention a company name? That's up to you. Long story short, we were doing integration in there and we started and I would have the guy come in and say, hey, can you make me an eighth inch end mill with three inch length of cut? And I said, well, sure I can make it, but why would you do that? (laughs) Well, because we got to have a 60,000th corner radius in this part right here. And I said, Gotta have a sixty thousand corner race in the part. Why is that? Now they Cause, make cause their, engineering. Yeah, because <laughs> right, engineering right. drew a sixty thousand race in yeah, the part, right. and cute. Cute. they couldn't yeah. get it in a wire EDM and all this yeah. other stuff. And I'm sitting there going, "Why is that? This is your own product line. Why don't
2: you talk to engineering a little bit?"
3: <laughs> I went upstairs to engineering and I asked engineering real quick. I said, "Does this part actually have to have a 60-tooth race?" No, no, we yeah. can do. It. And they changed the whole thing. And I said what is going on here? Engineers don't understand machining. Yeah. People won't talk to the engineers and, the and tell them. And, and yeah. that's the
2: difference of it, going above and beyond and asking yeah. the follow-up questions, yeah. the secondary questions. We do that same thing all the time. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah,
1: and It's important to get the dialogue going between those two departments and collaborate. Like with some of our integration clients, we have those regular meetings where we're like, okay, let's bring manufacturing and engineering together and talk about, well, what's the bottlenecks? What's the roadblocks to increasing cycle times and everything like that? One of things that I was going to say is I love the fact that you guys teamed up in order to teach that new generation in the classroom. And what I would encourage a lot of manufacturing leaders is get your new operators, your new team members to engage with their industrial supply partner, with their tooling guy, with their workholding guy and say, teach me. You know what I mean? Because it's almost like you're outsourcing education to your partner and We're We're happy to do it. We're happy to do it. And it doesn't cost you anything. You know what I mean? All the time we do the classroom type stuff at our client's location and on simple things like, well, let's talk about when to change out an insert, Mm -hmm. where to look for where so that you can change it out at the right time. And just simple things like that that you could teach the newbies is I think goes a long way. It does. It saves a lot of money. You know
2: what? You're right. This conversation is so good. and I'm trying to be cognizant of time here. So let's do a part one and a part two sounds like a plan. Yeah, part two, he'll pick up with the high efficiency milling and then we'll go back to that question I just asked Drew.